And while we're on the topic of what Christmas is looking like, um, I just curious for you um, to think about um, as we get this started, what does for you, what does the perfect Christmas look like? What does the perfect Christmas, if you think of the most ideal Christmas you could experience, what does that look like? Now, for me, um, growing up, um, I think Snow Village. And I'm hoping some of you know what that is. Maybe some of the kids in here know what a snow village is. Uh, my um, grandma has, ha- still has her snow village, and I thought that was the coolest thing. I think I eventually convinced my mom to, to have her own, um, own snow village, and it was so cool. In fact, I brought a picture of the snow village at um, my home where I grew up. Um, it is right here, and I would spend hours looking at it, playing with it. I just thought it was the coolest thing Ever. I mean, it is just such a happy place to be. Like, if you could spend the perfect Christmas anywhere, to me, this is where you would be, okay? For example, ours had, right up here by the Elf on the Shelf, which is a newer edition, um, there is a bike shop, okay? And so while you are having so much fun in the snow and all of that, you can also get your bike worked on. Isn't that awesome? Perfect. Yeah, for some of you crazy biker people who who bike in the winter. Okay, Um, we also have a flag up here. This is also a recent ad. We're a very patriotic snow village, I guess. Um, So that's really nice. Um, And then also right here, one of my favorites is the reindeer reindeer flight school. So if you want to know where uh, Santa trains his reindeer, it is right there. It's small, but it works. And then I even brought one along. It's right there. I brought, or I had my mom bring it down. Um, This is the Beard Brothers Elf Service Sleigh Wash. Wow. Yeah. For all of you who have a sleigh, oh, here's a big version of it. Yep. They wash, wax, and de-ice. Wow. I mean, that is crazy uh, for all of you who have sleighs anyways. Um, so that's what I thought when I thought perfect, perfect Christmas. It just looks perfect. Nobody is in, at least in our snow village, nobody has a frown on their face in our snow village. So what about you? What does your perfect Christmas look like? What does your perfect Christmas look like? Is it kind of the stereotypical in the, in the movies version of the, the Snow Village um, where um, everyone's happy and um, having a good time? Does your perfect um, Christmas include a music? Okay, you know, the Christmas music people. You guys did great, by the way, singing. That was fantastic, awesome. You, you were hesitant on a couple parts, but you did well through, through, through most of it. So how many of you, I can't really see you all very well, but how many of you are the type of Christmas music people that starts about de- November 1st? Anybody willing to admit that? Fantastic. Five of you? Okay. Six of you? Okay. The person running the soundboard even thinks think so too? <laughs> Be careful next year. Um, <laughs> Yeah, some of you are big uh, music fans. Um, for, for some of you, um, you uh, uh, the thing that's important um, to you is seeing other people, the people who um, show up, or uh, in some of your cases, the people who don't show up make Christmas a little bit better for you. Yep, yep, some of you, I thought. Um, you know, some of you, though, um, your perfect Christmas is, um, not, always, is not always the greatest not always the greatest. Um, that really, if we think about it, if we think about even all of our Christmases, the perfect Christmas doesn't really exist, does it? In fact, rarely, I think, is Christmas perfect. Rarely do I think Christmas is just perfect. 
And I think that's kind of the thing that I hope that we just don't walk away from this year. Because I don't know about you, but I think most of us, when we hit the Christmas season and things aren't going well, we just try to make it through and get through it. For some of us, um, you know, our, our Christmases aren't perfect um, because we get bogged down in the logistics of it. Whose house are we going to win? And, and for some of you, you still haven't decided that yet. And you have to have some conversations tonight. For some of you, uh, it's going to be bad gifts. I mean, you are particular with your gifts. And some people aren't. And it kind of upsets you that they don't care as much about your gifts as you do. Um, cooking, preparing, it stresses you out. For some of you, this is a season of life where um, you're at a place um, where you're not thinking about so much Christmas because of everything else going on in life. Um, for some of you, you're worried about your, your bills. You're worried about your bank account. You're worried about the year ahead. For whatever reason, I'm not sure why, but maybe something or some relationship you have uh, coming up that, that you're just not exceptionally excited for. I realize for some of you, um, you know, Christmas is the time when everybody gets together, and that is somewhat challenging, because as you look around the room, you see in some relationships or in the lack of people who are there, some things that could be but aren't, or could have been but aren't, or people who no longer are with you, and so therefore they won't be there this year. And that's challenging, and it's hard to process. For some of you, um, you're in a season of life um, where you are processing the fact that the majority of Christmases in your life are behind you. And you're looking at a completely different future, unlike some of us in the younger generations. There are so many, I mean, come on, at Christmas time, there are so many different tensions, relationships, stresses, who's in the room, how do I communicate with you kind of thing to manage. And Christmas can just be so challenging. And unfortunately, for some of us, rarely is perfect, or at least ideal. So here's my question to you, and for this, morning, or for this evening, how do we, how do you reconcile reality? How do you reconcile your life with the joy of the world Christmas that if you are a Christian that you feel like you should be celebrating? That you feel like coming to church, it should be exciting and joyful and you're going to go home and it's opening gifts and it's just all exciting and how could anybody be upset at Christmas? And the reality is it's far from that or at least farther than you'd like it to be from that. How do you reconcile those two things. Now, I realize for some of you um, here this evening, uh, you are not a Christian. Or you're kind of in that place in your life where you're here because you feel obligated to go with your family. It's a tradition thing. Or for some of you, honestly, you just don't think about God or Jesus or Christianity all too much. In, in your world, this is kind of easy. You don't have to reconcile it because you don't really have the joy of the world, Christmas, in your mind or your heart. In your world, the world just works the way it works. Chips fall where they may. 
or it's up to you, right? You take on all the responsibility to make Christmas happen or to make your life happen. So it's not really up to or you invite a God to be involved in that. And if that's you this evening, I'm so glad you're here. And I also want to say that I understand your perspective. A good handful of years ago, I spent a good couple, a good couple of years as an agnostic. And so I understand the perspective coming into this time and this season as there is a tension. Maybe you enjoy the getting together and gifts part, but you struggle with the faith aspect of it. And I'm so glad that you're here, and I hope that you will at least consider how, at least the character in this story and what we're going to hear today, is how maybe you could reconcile some of the things in your own life. Now, if you are a Jesus follower, I'm just going to be honest. This is something, and what we're going to talk about here, how you reconcile this is something that I think so often we just lose perspective on. We just kind of don't think about it. It kind of just slips through our fingers. We don't have it on our mind or our hearts. And even in this season of good news and great joy, it is difficult sometimes, even for the Jesus followers in the room, to celebrate Christmas. And so whatever your story may be, and whatever your Christmas may be looking like or will look like over the next few, few days or even weeks if you celebrate into January for some of your families, I invite you to at least consider how do you rec- reconcile the joy of the world Christmas that we celebrate right now and the reality of life. And to do that, I would really like to start by just going through the Christmas story. So if you are um, a person who brings your Bible, I'd love for you to follow along with us um, this, uh, this evening, or I'll have it also up on the screen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, and I'm just going to read the Christmas story. But what I want you to do is I want you to listen. Listen to all the imperfections in the Christmas story. And we're going to look at an account of the Christmas story from a man named Luke. And Luke was a medical doctor, okay, at least whatever a medical doctor looked like 2,000 years ago. And he says at the beginning of all of his writing, he says, listen, I have thoroughly investigated all the things that I'm about to tell you. And so I hope that you would pay attention to the story to the story, to these events that I saw happen, because I interviewed people, I met with people, I talked to people, and here's what I learned about the Christmas story. And so here's how it begins in chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Okay, he goes on. He says, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Now, for some of you, this is exceptionally familiar, but for those of you in this room who, like my experience, have issue starting off the bat because of where you are in your faith, I understand. Because for a lot of skeptics, in fact, I was just going through my news feed in the last, um, last week, and, and so everybody's kind of posting things about Christmas and stuff, and my skeptic, atheist, agnostic friends, they're posting about this verse right here. And, and I want to acknowledge the historical factors. Luke is documenting a historical pattern of events. He's talking about the governor, he's talking about the place, and all these things. And so oftentimes, this is where the Christmas story derails for those of you who struggle in this faith or the legitimacy of this story. And I want to just acknowledge that I understand where you struggle in some of the historical timeline of what's happening here. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, or you do know what I'm talking about, I really hope a good resource for you is called coldcasechristianity.com. 
And it's not an end-all, but it's a great starting point in understanding how these historical people like Luke wrote their account of the Christmas story. So I just want to say that because I know I was once sitting in those chairs listening to the Christmas story, and like in my mind, I'm processing through some of these things. I'm like, sure, I'm not sure these things add up, or that the other historians in the world have documented the same thing. And so I just want to make sure that you don't just disregard everything I'm about to say next just because of how this Christmas story begins. So coldcasechristianity.com, we're going to keep moving on, all right? So now the imperfections start to start to begin, all right? So Joseph, most of you are familiar with Joseph, also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Now, if you you were here in week um, two of our last series, Christmas at the Movies, or you can go online and watch it or watch it on our app, um, we talked about um, there's prophecies in the past, and one of those prophecies said that Jesus was going to be born um, uh, through the lineage of David. And so this was a really big deal, and so you can watch week two of our last series, Christmas at the Movies, and check that out. And so this is what um, Luke's trying to tie together. He's saying, hey, Jesus, this guy, came from big King David. King David, kind of a big deal. If you grew up in church, you probably heard about him, all right? And so he said, um, he's born of the lineage of David. And then he says, this is a, they had to go, um, uh, Joseph had to travel to get there. Now this is a big deal. And this is where the imperfections really start to um, begin in the story. Um, One, uh, for me, I I get really bothered um, by how Luke describes geography. And I think some of you do too. Do you know some people who ever like describe a location and they say, hey, yeah, I go down to Minneapolis. Anybody have any of those people? I go up to Kansas City. And you're like, no, no, you don't. Okay, you go up to Minneapolis, you go down to Kansas City. You know what I'm talking about? Well, Luke does the same thing here. He said he went up from town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. He did not. He went down, okay? Just a pet peeve of mine, okay? So here's imperfection number one. And I'll show you why. In the next slide, there's a map, okay? So here they are up in Nazareth, and Joseph's going to take Mary, okay, all the way down here to Bethlehem. Now, this is an 80-mile journey, okay? And there is no quick way to get there other than walking, okay? Now, this is a two-hour drive if you do it today, okay? Two-hour drive. Some of you are going to struggle get through in the two-hour drive you have to take to your families for Christmas. Are you not? You're like dreading the two-hour drive, okay? Imagine walking it. Yeah, with your kids. That would be awful, okay? So, okay, so now, yeah, some of you are like, Taylor, I hope you keep going faster because I'm trying to keep my kid together here, okay? I I will, okay? So, Joseph is trying to go all the way down with Mary to Bethlehem, all right? And so he went there to register with Mary. Now, ladies, ladies, what was going on in Mary's life at that point? Yes, one person knew, right, okay. <laughs> she was pregnant, yeah. Joseph was alone. Mary's coming along, okay, and she's eight to nine months pregnant, okay? And it is so nice to think about, like, that she's riding a donkey and all that, but that is such a Hallmark Christmas card thing. Okay, now she may have been walking a donkey or riding a donkey, but let's be honest, ladies, okay? Because my, my wife was pregnant at this time last year, five days away from giving birth, this time last year, and I'm just going to say, if you don't already know, she would not be excited about an 80-mile walk trip or ride trip. Both sound awful, okay? So Mary's going into this and saying, this is awful. And that's not even where the rough part starts. The rough part is here, who was pledged. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph and was expecting a child. 
which getting married, or excuse me, having a child out of wedlock, Joseph and Mary weren't married yet, um, having a child in those days was a huge deal. In fact, Mary could have been stoned to death, okay, because they had not been married yet, all right? And just imagine how that, that conversation would go. I mean, think about the conflict that you have over your Christmas. Imagine Mary coming to Joseph and saying, hey, Joseph, I know we're getting married, and I just want to let you know that I'm, I'm pregnant. And Joseph's like, what? What? Who's the, who's, who's the father? God. You know? I mean, that's, that's just like hard to process, okay? So there's probably, like, if you argue about cooking and gift-giving and travel plans, okay, just imagine the arguments that they had on their 80-mile walk down to Bethlehem. Not going well, okay? Story continues. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a... Very good, right up here. Apparently, this, this is going on up here, okay? Y'all need to get together here. Okay, <clears throat> manger. Mothers, how would you like it to place your first child, your precious little baby, in a cattle trough? If they just rolled that in to the OB room, okay, the delivery room, right? And they just said, and here's where your baby's staying, right? I mean, can you imagine... Mary has a lot of reason right now to be a little upset. And, and really, she has a lot of reason to be upset because somebody didn't make reservations. <laughs> so you think it's hard for Mary, but think about Joseph, okay? Because there was no guest room available for them when they got there. And Mary's looking at Joseph like, Joseph, why didn't you make a reservation to Holiday Inn Express? And Joseph is like, I don't know. And so they had to go to a barn, that's why we have the song Silent Night, because it was silent. Okay, anyway, <clears throat> you got it. Okay, good. All right. Now, so everything, if you think about a having your first child story, this is awful. This is not fun. This is not enjoyable. This is tense. This is argumentative. This is not the perfect Christmas. And yet, and yet, in the midst of this, Mary says something that just, it's hard for me to understand. Because Luke goes off and he talks about, if you follow along in your Bible, it goes off and talks about the shepherds. And then he comes back to Mary and just like throws this line in here. And you're kind of thinking to yourself, wait, what? Here's what he said. But Mary, in all the challenges and all the trials, treasured up all, not some of, not the good parts, not the, oh, I'm holding my baby for the first time parts, all these things and pondered them in her heart. In her heart. I mean, imagine if you were in Mary and Joseph's shoes, bringing the Son of God, even if you don't believe in Him, just imagine bringing the Son of God into the world in that way. I mean, you prayed for at least a three-star hotel, and you got a barn. It was like, God, where are you? I'm having your son, and you couldn't even give me that. And I think we have to look hard and close at how Mary got to this point. Because Mary was able to reconcile her imperfect circumstances with this moment and say, that she treasured them in her heart. See, Mary made a decision 
that I think most of us struggle with. Mary made a decision, and it is a decision. We can say, oh yeah, but you can't blame Mary, and and there's truth to that, right? I mean, it's hard not to hear the story and say like, well, I could see where Mary would be at least a little upset. But no, Mary made a decision. And so what I want to do real quick is look at how Mary, how does Mary reconcile the imperfections? How does she reconcile the imperfections? Now, real quick, let's be honest with what we would do first, okay? Because I think, if we're honest, most of us, when we don't have what we want or our expectations aren't being met or there are imperfections in our experience, Christmas or not, we tend to just what? Ignore them? Pretend they don't exist? Walk away from them altogether? Right? We look at other people. We do the comparison game, right? We look at other people and we say, oh, well, I wish I could have had that. We look at other people and, and we look at our situation and we're like, this is so imperfect. I mean, they look at what they have and we're like, wow, I feel like as hard as I work, as much as I invest, I feel like I should at least deserve that. Or maybe, if you're really honest, you look at, at your situation and you say, well, had I made different decisions... Maybe this would have looked different. Maybe it wouldn't have been as imperfect as it is. So how does Mary reconcile this? Give you a little hint. It's where she's looking. It's where her focus is the entire story. She saw an 80-mile journey. She watched every step go by. She saw the anger in her family finding out that she was having a child out of wedlock, maybe in her whole town. She saw the manger that she had to put her firstborn in. But the difference is, she focused in, she kept at the forefront of what she was looking at, looking towards, her Father in heaven. She looked at God the whole time. And I know for some of you, you're like, yeah, but I don't, I, I don't even know what looking at God looks like. And I understand. And I'm not saying you've got to go all the way there today. I'm just asking you to consider. Because when Mary got the news that she would have a child, this is what she did. She actually sang a song. It's called Mary's Song. Really, really original. Okay? And here's what Mary said. Mary said, my soul, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My spirit rejoices. With all the imperfections ahead, with all the implications relationally or socially, all of that, my spirit rejoices. Why? For he, God, has been mindful of his humble servant, of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For Luke goes on, the mighty one has done a great thing. Not a bad thing, not a so-so thing, but a great thing in me. Holy is his name. See, she focused on God. She didn't say, I'm a burdened servant. She said, I'm a humble servant. I'm not a bitter person. I'm a rejoicing person. Where many of us would probably say, well, that's just unlucky. She said, I'm going to be blessed. 
for generations to come. See, the lens at which Mary saw her circumstances, her imperfect circumstances, the lens she saw was what God was doing in her life and the world. Not the lens of others, not the lens of our expectations or her expectations, not what others demanded of her or socially was acceptable of her. It's just what God was doing in her life. And in all honesty, it wasn't just her. That that section about the shepherds that Luke was talking about, they saw it too, right? When they had seen him, Luke was narrating about the shepherds. When they, the shepherds, had seen him, they spread the word concerning about what had been told to them about this child. Luke goes on, he said, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising. Why? Because of what they had seen. For all the things that they had heard and seen, for which were just as they had been told. For them, Jesus, the birth of this baby, was hope. For them, it was a fulfillment of promise. For them, it was purpose It was certainty, and they were looking at it the whole time. You may hear hear the word around church at this season, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God is with us. And that is the lens at which Mary looked through, and that is the lens at which the shepherds looked through. God is with me. Mary saw the imperfections, no room for me in the inn, but... God is with me. Things aren't going as I planned, but God is with me. God is with me. Now, I just want to make a point, and it is probably the least profound point you have heard this year, but I think it is a point that is worth being reminded of because we can so quickly lose sight of what is of importance and value. And here it is. What you're looking at is what you'll see. Told you it wasn't very profound. What you're looking at, obviously, is what you'll see. Now, obviously, I'm talking about this metaphorically, okay? But if you're looking at the perfect snow village and comparing it to your perception of your imperfect life, what are you going to see? The imperfections. If you are looking at your bank account, which I still hope you do, And if you're looking at your bills, which I still hope you will, but if you're looking at that and saying, you know what, this season cannot be as perfect because of that, then maybe you're looking at the wrong thing. If you're looking at your bank account and that informs your decisions for how you live your life, what jobs you take or you don't take, perhaps you need a little bit of a lens adjustment. Because if that's all you see, you'll be tied, your life will be determined by that bank statement more than it will be anything else. If all you see is your career aspirations, that's all you'll see. And your family and everything around you will work with that in mind. If you keep in front of you and what you look at is the wrongs people have done to you, that's what you'll see. And you'll be bitter and resentful about it. God doesn't want you to look there first. That's why he brought Jesus. He wants to give you a very clear understanding of who he is, God with us. God with us. 
That's what he's inviting you to do. That's what that manger means. Is God's love for you, working for you, your good. Not against you, but for you. And if you look at that kind of love, and that's the love you model, and experience, and live through your life, that is what you'll start to see. That is how you'll start to live. Because, my friends, when your eyes are on God, when your eyes are on God, things change. Mary looks at the situation of placing her child. Mary would say, I am placing my child in the manger. But when she looks at God first, she says, no, I'm placing the Son of God in a manger. Mary says, I'm enduring suffering. But looking at God, she says, I'm serving. I'm a humble servant serving the God Most High. See, I remember looking um, at our daughter almost a year ago in, in our room in the, in the little um, basket thing that they put, put newborns in. And I remember thinking and processing through this this change in our lives, and, and for some of you, you, you've experienced that, or honestly, if you have ever held a newborn, there's part of you that looks at that newborn child, and you're like, wow, this is profound. And you have a choice in that moment. See, I could have looked at her and said, well, there's going to be at least a car I'm going to have to buy. There's going to be a college fund to set up and to raise money for, and on average, it's probably going to cost me around $200,000 to raise this child. That's a real bummer. But I didn't. In fact, that, I didn't even cross my mind. All I saw in there was a precious gift. A precious gift. And some of you would be like, well, why would you ever think that about a newborn baby? You wouldn't think, oh my gosh, I've got to spend this and this and this. Yeah, but you do it in other places in your life. You look at all these things in your lives that you could celebrate, that you could have joy and, and be thankful for, and you look at it with, with negativity or skepticism or pe pessimistic attitude. And you look at it through that lens. And I think you lose the life that God has given you when you do that. And I think God, when He came to earth in a body, in a baby, in a manger, He was saying, even this small thing, vulnerable, sitting in a cattle trough, is important. And it's how I love you. And it's significant. And if that is significant, how many other things in our lives that we don't think are important or are imperfect really are better than we think? So here's, here's my question to you. Where are your eyes looking? Where do you focus? What do you focus on? Where are your eyes looking? In just a, in a second, you're going to uh, meet Caitlin. If you don't know Caitlin, uh, she um, runs our kids' area, Lollaby Land in Uptown, on normal Sunday mornings. And last year, um, while Stephanie and I uh, were in um, at the hospital, um, just hours away from delivering our child, um, I got a call from her husband, Joe. And in a moment where... Sorry, where we should be happy and joyful. It was heartbreaking. 
And as Caitlin shares with you this story, I hope you will ask yourself, where was her eyes looking? Where are her eyes looking? And what it would look like maybe in your life if you would change where your eyes are looking to. So take a look at this, and then um, we'll wrap up today's service. When I think of the perfect Christmas, or how I would describe the perfect Christmas, I think of everyone always saying, spending time with family and friends. Um, that's how I would describe my last Christmas in 2017. Uh, Joe and I spent time with our infused family um, at Christmas Eve service, and then we drove to Des Moines, and we spent time with my family there for Christmas Day. It was just a short five days later, after spending that time with family and friends, that we received um, very unexpected news, that my father had had a sudden heart attack, and um, he had passed away. He could not be revived. So just five days after that um, Christmas, um, we lost my dad. Uh, Christmas Day will forever be the last day that I saw my dad, the last day that I spoke to him, and the last time that I hugged him. Um, and my memories of Christmas are always going to be tied to that. I remember getting the news that he had passed, and because it was so sudden, I just wanted to do something. Uh, I was definitely in shock, and there were a lot of things running through my head, but I wanted, I just kept saying, what can we do, what do we do? Um, I just wanted some control in a situation that felt so uncontrollable. Um, I think that really describes the year that laid ahead. This year has not been an easy one, even though at times, Outwardly, it may not seem like things are challenging. Uh, every day um, is a challenge when you're dealing with grief. I think that it's one of those things where you kind of feel like for, uh, your world is going to forever be tinted this gray. It's hard to see the good when you feel like everything is just tinted gray without them. Um, there were times in the past year that I felt challenges of feeling hopeless and broken. Um, sad and forgotten, but ultimately, even though I had all of those feelings, there was never a time that I doubted that God was with me. Um, I felt challenged in my relationship with Him, but I knew that He was still there and that we still had this relationship together. At Christmas time, um, we remember the love of our families and that time that we have together. We treasure that, but I think also it's time to treasure the love that God brings into our lives. I think that it's so difficult to see those good things because there are so many other things going on. And to push through that, it's really just relying on the fact that we believe that God loves us so much that He gave His only Son, that He um, brought Jesus to us at Christmas and then sacrificed Him on the cross at Easter. And if we believe that God has that kind of love for us, he has that kind of love for everyone that we can find some comfort in that at this time. He loves me, he loves my mom, my brother as we walk through this together, but he also had that love for my dad. And, and it's comforting knowing that no matter what, he, 
he cared about my dad too and that he has him in his arms just like he keeps us in his arms now. Christmas may never be perfect again. It's not a promise, right? But there is, and I think as you heard Caitlin say, there is comfort and there is hope and maybe even joy. Maybe even joy. Because of the opportunity you have to put your eyes on something so much bigger than this world, yet something that is so big, yet willing to come and be a part of this world. My friends, Christmas, I think, is the perfect time, the perfect time to move your eyes in a new direction. A perfect time to reconcile your circumstances, your past, and your future. For some of you, it is to begin to put your eyes on Jesus. And you have maybe never said that in your life. But my hope is, if there is something going on in here, that you would think about what it looks like to put your eyes on Jesus. Or for some of you to recommit your focus on Him. And that just doesn't happen today. And it doesn't happen tomorrow. It happens every day. It means as simply as just, as, as cliche as it sounds, coming back and being here on January 6th and starting a walk. Following Jesus is exactly that. Your eyes are on him and you follow. It's as simple as that. doesn't mean there aren't challenges and it doesn't mean everything is perfect. That is not the promise. Just read Luke's account of Jesus' life. But it means in the midst of the imperfections, there is an opportunity for hope and peace and joy. So I'm going to invite the band up on stage right now. And if you have a candle nearby, I'd invite you to grab it. And if you don't have one, um, we have a couple, I'm sure, still left at the door. And what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song. And I want to leave you, um, or not leave you, but I want to, I want to um, have this time um, to sing this song um, because I think it's very, it speaks a, a lot to um, this idea of putting your eyes and realizing that when your eyes are on the right things, that everything really will be okay. And so the ushers are going to walk the sides of the aisles and light the candles. And if you would, then turn to your neighbor and pass the light along. And I think that is so symbolic of how life actually goes sometimes, that sometimes we just have to be the light to others because God was to us, or we have to share that light with others because God was for us. And so I invite you at this time to stand, and then as the ushers pass to, to um, share the light with one another, I'll come back up here. We'll pray, have a few words, sing our last song, and we'll send you on your way. So if you would, uh, sing with us this next song.
Would you bow your heads and pray? Heavenly Father, my uh, prayer is pretty simple. That uh, no matter where we are in our faith walk, our journey, maybe we're not there yet, maybe we're somewhere in between, maybe we've been walking for a long time. This Christmas, we would remember the significance of a little baby and how that has allowed us, given us the opportunity to see you and for it to be well in our souls. So Lord, my prayer for each one of us is that we would leave today with maybe at least a new opportunity to see something differently, to see someone differently. And to keep our eyes, give us the strength and the wisdom, whatever we need to keep our eyes on you and to see the world through that lens. In your name I pray, amen.